Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Church. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on social media or visit us at harvestak.com. We pray that the message would encourage you and challenge you to grow in your faith with Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. We're going to be talking about the love of God today, which is always uh, such a warm, inviting topic, and I believe that it will bless you a lot. Um, let me give you a little background, though, because the love of God, when we talk about His love, we know that it's, it's limitless, it's, it's boundless, and so it's a huge topic. Uh, it would take days and years and maybe all of eternity and then some to talk about the love of God. So clearly we can't talk about everything that has to do with it, but we will be talking about God's love as it has to do with the gifts and callings that he's placed on our life. And I want to remind you, maybe uh, you have heard this in the past, maybe you haven't, uh, but several months ago, the Holy Spirit communicated to my heart. I was searching for direction from the Lord and uh, actually preparing breakfast. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, equip the saints. And I knew exactly what he was talking about because it's a passage of scripture. It comes right out of Ephesians chapter 4. And it tells us that the church leadership is responsible for equipping God's people to do the work of the ministry. And I realized that is the mission that he has given to me, to us, for this church, to equip God's saints to do the work of the ministry. And so uh, right along uh, those lines and in line with that direction that he gave to me, uh, another scripture verse came to mind, and that is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. And in verse 10, it tells us that God has given to each person, each believer, I'm certain that he's referencing the household of God, he's given to each believer a gift, and we are to use these gifts to serve one another. And I just absolutely adore this passage of scripture. For one thing, it's all-inclusive. It's leaving no person behind. Uh, Each one of us has indeed received a gift from God, and that means that we are to use it to serve others. We should all be engaged in serving other people. And I really believe that this reflects the heart of God. It certainly reflects the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus even once made a very startling statement. He said, I came not to be served, although he was worthy to be served. Correct? God in the flesh. If anyone deserved to be served, it would be Jesus himself. But he said, I did not come to serve, but to serve others. I'm paraphrasing, but you get the point. And that's amazing to me to hear from the very lips of God himself that his purpose is to serve others right? And so we want to reflect him. It's like Monica said, in our giving, we're simply reflecting the generosity of our father. Our father, God, he's generous. He gives. He gave us his son. He's given us all things bountifully to enjoy, right? And so uh, since he is so generous, and think about it, his gifts absolutely permeate. They run, run through every aspect of our life, right? They run the entire gamut, We thank God for the health that he's given to us, for the energy, for everything, our families, etc. God is so generous. And so we want to be like him and we're generous as well. We want to make sure that his house is is well supplied. So uh, each one of us has received a gift and the Bible encourages us, hey, use that gift to serve other people. But it's important then to discover what is the gift that God has given me. And we're in the midst of that journey right now. Each one of us is, is uh, looking to find, God, what is the calling that you have placed on my life? What is the gift that you have given to me? I want to use that for your glory. Amen? And I believe that, that all of us are probably on the same page when it comes to that. Let me just give you uh, an idea here. Let me tell you a real short story, but I believe that it will bless you because it will show you something that God is doing. Now, a lot of times when you start proclaiming the word of God, like we have been for several weeks now in church about gifts and ministries and that sort of thing, then you start to see that actually manifest in real life and living color, right? So you begin to talk about it, think about it, and meditate on it, and in time you see the results, 
So something rather unexpected happened uh, really not too long ago. Uh, Inga and I have a very, I'm going to call her a good friend, and she is indeed. She's actually from Malaysia, Malaysian lady, but she lives all the way across the ocean from us here in Fairbanks in Russia in the city in which we uh, previously lived as missionaries, and she works for a timber company. That's what she's doing in Russia, although, as I said, she's from Malaysia. And she's a strong Christian, and when she came to Russia to work in the timber industry, uh, she searched for a church and she found ours, and at that time we were the pastors of the church. And so we formed a close friendship with her, And one of the things that she always delighted in doing, we never asked her to do it. It was simply on her heart, which, by the way, is a big key to the gift that God has given you. It's just a good fit. It's something that you are passionate about, something that you love, something that you desire. And so she delighted for some reason. (laughs) I can't explain it, but I just receive it. Uh, She delighted in buying clothing for my family. And every Sunday, she would bring us bags of clothing. And we were so blessed. I had dozens of sweaters, and still do to this very day. I am well equipped. I I have many sweaters. Um, So no no need for sweaters. Now, a men's tennis shoe inside. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) I'm just joking, but... She uh, saw that as her ministry, and I started calling her our angel. Well, when we moved here to Fairbanks, I thought, well, that's the end of the angel's ministry. But it wasn't, because there's such a thing as Amazon, right? (laughs) And so for a while, the clothing stopped, of course, but then all of a sudden, we started getting all these packages from Amazon. And again, she resumed blessing our family with clothes. We're so thankful. But listen, that's just the beginning. Are you ready? So recently, now when I say recently, I've said that too many times so far, but when I say recently this time, I mean like the last couple of weeks, uh, she sent me a series of emails and said, listen, I've ordered a whole bunch of things, and these uh, items, and they're clothing items, are meant not for your family, but for the church people who ever needs it. And so here the packages start coming. Box after box after box after box. Nathan saw me this morning. I carried in, I think, four or five more boxes of clothing. And they're brand new clothing. And she keeps giving and giving and giving. And so it dawned on my lightning fast intellect that if God is supplying, there must be a ministry in the making. You see what I mean? And so what I'm waiting for is for somebody in this church to say, That's what I love. I want to clothe the needy. Do you realize that's a very important ministry? And so uh, that's just a a little story. See, when you get in line with the gift God has given to you, he will supply you with the things that you need to make that happen. Amen? Amen. And he's doing it in advance in this case. Usually it happens the opposite way where someone says, I want to clothe those who really need clothing. And then we scramble around to get the clothes. But now we have a a whole bunch of clothes. We just need somebody to say, I want to help with that. I'd like to clothe those who need it. Amen. So what would that be? That would be an amazing ministry. And you might say, well, that really clothing people. I don't know. But remember the words of Christ himself. He said, when I was naked, you clothed me right? When I was hungry, you fed me. This is a very valid, important ministry, and it's very necessary. And so I'm just telling you, God is doing some amazing things here in our church, and he's stirring up people's hearts, and people are starting to just really grab a hold of it and move in these gifts. Well, another thing that we've learned is that love, the love of God, plays a huge role in ministry in using our gifts, I like to think of it this way. The love of God should really be the heart, the beating heart or the core of our ministry. It's the reason why. The reason why is not just to spin our wheels and make a lot of motion and somehow try to please God. Listen, you are accepted in the beloved. You're pleasing to the Lord because you're in Christ. And remember what the father said about his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Father is pleased with the Son, and you are in Christ. That's kind of a deep thought, but it's worthy of contemplation. Amen? So uh, you're not accepted by God based on what you do. 
you know, our relationship with him is formed in Christ because Christ accepted us and chose us and we simply responded in faith to him. Amen? So love is the reason why. And uh, over in Galatians 5.13, for instance, it tells us through love we're to serve others. Amen? Through love we serve others. And so uh, all of us have this desire. We want to grow in love. We, we realize how important love is. Uh, most of us know the, the verses such as God is love. And we think, yeah, that's wonderful. I know, I know I should love more. But how? How can I do that? How can I grow in love? Well, Scripture provides us with an answer uh, over in Ephesians chapter 3. And it uh, lets us kind of eavesdrop on the Apostle Paul as he's praying for the believers in Ephesus. And it lets us sit and observe and listen to his prayer for them. And he prayed and he asked the Lord that he would help the believers to comprehend and to know the love of God. Amen? So this is how we grow in God's love is knowing it and looking at it and observing it, meditating on it. And we grow through knowledge. That's how we grow. And the more we know, the more we begin to behave that way, the more we experience it, right? And then there's also this this element such as spending time with the Lord. (laughs) Amen. So the more time we spend with love, love, the essence of God is love, the more loving we will be, right? So this all though comes back to knowing Christ's love. That's how we grow in his love. And so uh, last Sunday, and by the way, uh, if you missed last Sunday's sermon, um, I don't say this very often, but I'm going to say it today. Please take the time and effort to go back and listen to that sermon. That was a key sermon. That was so important. We talked about the new commandment and the new covenant pertaining to love. And it's different than the Mosaic commandment of love. In the law of Moses, the law said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, mind, etc., body, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that when Christ was speaking with representatives of the law, he would quote that to them. But then over in John chapter 13, we see that he changes gears and gives us a new commandment. And he specifically said it. He did not just quote the old. He gave us a brand spanking new commandment of love, right? And it differs from the law of Moses. So in the law of Moses, there was a commandment issued. Love God with all of your being. Love your neighbors yourself. Now let's look at Christ's new commandment. A new commandment. So if it's new, it's new, right? We can trust him. It's not the same as the old. If it's the same as the old, it's not new. Correct? So it must be different somehow from the old commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So what are some features that pop out uh, at you from this new commandment? Well, one of the most amazing things about it to me is that the command to love God is absent. And most people, you know, sit in shocked silence because they can hardly believe that. Now, did I say we're not to love God? No. Are we to love God? Absolutely. But I'm just pointing out there is no commandment in this commandment (laughs) to love God. Am I right? He said, love one another, but is the love of God present in this commandment? Amen. Thank you for your hearty amen. It certainly is. But it's not in you love God. It's I love you, says God to you. (laughs) That sounded like Dr. Seuss. I love it. Mm. All that reading paid off, you know. (laughs) So the love of God is present, but it's a different emphasis, isn't it? It's not on you love God, you must somehow with all. No, it's telling you that God loves you. And because God loves you, you now are able to love other people. Amen? Well, what about loving God? Shouldn't we love God clearly? But here's the thing. Our love to God is a response. Why? 
Because, listen, God is always first in love. Your love is, can only be a response to his. How do I know that? Because of 1 John, of course. And it told us this. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us first. Are you listening? So therefore, our love is a response to God's first love. I call it first love because it is. He was first in love. So because Christ loves us, right? We respond to that. It's just a natural response. You don't need to be commanded to love Christ. Because when you understand how much he loves you, it's just natural. You will love him. Amen? But you know where we need help? Loving one another. That's why Jesus said it twice in one short little commandment, right? (laughs) This is where the rubber meets the road. But here's another thought for you. Now, I submit to you that loving others is tantamount to loving God, especially if we're talking about the household of faith. Jesus said, what you do to the least, you're doing to me, right? So if we're loving the least or the greatest or whoever they are, we're doing it to Christ. You see what I mean? He takes it personally. Whatever happens to his body, which is the church, he takes personally. Are you with me? So when you love others, you in fact are actually expressing your love for the Lord. Amen? Now, if we had time, we'd talk more about love today because it would be important, I think, for you to think about this during the week and determine for yourself, what is love? How do you understand it? And actually, that's not such a simple... There's no simple answer to that question. What is love exactly? And how do you understand it? I thought about it once and I realized that at that point in time, for me, love boiled down to, when I really thought about it, a type of a feeling. That's really what I equated it with. But the word of God seems to always point at action when it talks about love. Doesn't it? Right? And aren't we glad that when God loved the world... He didn't just express, he didn't just let waves of comfort and good emotion pour out over us, right? It compelled him to do something. He sent his son. He didn't just sit in heaven and feel, (laughs) right? Now, does he? Yeah, of course. Christ was moved with compassion. He's merciful. I mean, feelings are wonderful, but I believe that the true essence of it is giving, I really do. That's why through love, serve one another. Amen? It's like pure love. It's God's kind of love. Praise God. And another thing is, see, if love was was just an emotion, uh, maybe it's just true in my life, but it could be in yours as well. My emotions tend to fluctuate a little. Do yours? Not, not a real solid base. You know what I mean? And so I thank God that, lo- that love doesn't consist just of emotions. Because they do change. They change. Praise God. But, but God's kind of love doesn't. So Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. So also are you to love one another. So this is, this is the way I see it. The more we grow in Christ's love for us the more we love others and the more we serve them with the gift God has given us. Amen. So if we want to see more ministry, more gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit are God's love for his people, for humanity. Amen. They all come for a reason. Think, for example, this is an easy one. This is low-hanging fruit, but think of the gifts of healings, right? That's God's desire for someone's body or mind or whatever to be restored, correct? Can't, I see love in that, don't you? That he wants that broken part to be made whole again. Praise the Lord. So we're going to be talking about the love of God a lot because it is the beating heart of ministry. It's the heart of equip the saints. That's what it's all about. Amen. So one really important aspect of love, we're going to learn it from Christ himself today. We're going to take a a look at a story over in Luke chapter 7. 
And we're going to see that the love of God is very much linked to forgiveness and your understanding of forgiveness. I think that for a lot of believers, I'm just, you know, we're in church, so I'm going to, I'm addressing mostly believers, I think. Even for believers, there seems to be quite a few barriers that they've placed between themselves and the Lord. And a lot of those barriers have to do with failures and sins and so forth. Forgiveness absolutely obliterates all of those barriers. Amen? It does. And it's important for us to realize that. That the love of God is so strong and great. Um, it literally removes any barricades between us and the Lord. And we shouldn't try to fashion them ourselves. Just because we don't understand the way things really are. So let's take a look at this. I want you to think of love and forgiveness. So we're looking over here at um, Luke chapter 7. We're going to read this entire incident. Um, it's, it's not very long. And I'm going to take a little bit of freedom to jump around within the story, but we'll cover the whole thing. So this is really an amazing story. Starting in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, um, this is uh, just a little bit of bonus material for you. There are several um, similar occasions like this in the Gospels. Uh, we see that um, in some cases, uh, the, the ointment was broken over Christ, and he said that it prepared him for his burial. This is a totally different story. Christ makes no mention that this is somehow connected to his burial. Uh, foreshadowing, of course, his crucifixion on the cross. So uh, we need to emphasize what this story is emphasizing, and it's not yet time for that. This is in the beginning of the gospel, more or less. So think of this um, very unusual story. Now, I realize that we have preteens here, so I'm going to be delicate as I say this, but most biblical scholars feel that this particular lady was probably... Um, a lady of the night. Does that make any sense? <laughs> and I'm not going to get too much. Good. The preteen over here said, no, it doesn't. A mission accomplished. I hope that it didn't, you know. In other words, this lady's uh, experience, her life, her very occupation is sinful from start to finish. Her whole life is absolutely saturated in sin. And there's so many things that stand out to me about this story. And, and I hope that during the week you'll meditate on this because I believe the Lord has something for us in here. But just think about it. Why would she even approach him to begin with? And she comes to Christ and it says here uh, that when she came, she learned that he was at Simon the Pharisee's house. Uh, she was weeping to begin with. And so this tells me that she'd had some kind of an experience, at least with his ministry. And, you know, the Gospels are not just volumes and volumes and volumes in length. They're actually pretty short. So they just hit the highlights of Christ's ministry. So you kind of have to read be between the lines. But this would indicate to me that probably she had seen Christ minister to similar people like herself and minister to them in such a way that their lives were restored, and that he actually accepted them, and he didn't push them away. And uh, she came, obviously, uh, her heart is very drawn to the Lord. She comes on purpose, and she has uh, this goal in mind to worship him. Now, Christ is later going to point out her love for him, but her love was demonstrated by her actions. So there's much that I could comment about uh, what she did, but there's only one real important thing I'm going to point out here. Remember, um, there was a time when Christ insisted on washing his disciples' feet. 
remember that incident? And oddly enough, to our ears, it sounds strange, but to them, it would have been very understandable. However, the disciples, they weren't real keen on that idea, were they? They were a little apprehensive. And in fact, Peter just said flat out, no, you're not going to do that to me. And Jesus said, if I don't, you have no part with me. And then he said, well, then wash my entire body, if you don't mind, please. (laughs) Well, I admire his... (laughs) gung-ho attitude. And I mean, (laughs) he was sold out. But here's the point. Um, Why were the disciples uneasy about Christ washing their feet? Well, the reason why is because in that day and age, the washing of feet was reserved for the very lowliest of slaves, right? And so to do that would be to abase oneself, And so a host would never consider doing that. A host would simply command his slave, if he had one, to do this very menial, low task. It was about as low of a job as you could have. And so consider what this woman does. But not only does she begin to cleanse the feet of the master, she does it with her hair and her own tears, right? No reservations, giving herself completely as an offering, as I see it, as an act of worship to the Lord, absolutely abasing herself. She knows that the opinion of those surrounding Christ of her is already very, very low, right? They know who she is. In fact, Simon, we're going to get some inside information about thoughts running through his mind. But he thought this, if Jesus knew who this woman was, see, he knew who she was. Simon did, right? He was aware of her reputation. And so she, despite all of that, despite all of the social pressure put on her, she comes to this very upright person's home. She hopes to find Christ. And then she absolutely abases and humiliates herself and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus and cleanse his feet and worship him. Amen? Now, what's striking, I suppose, in contrast, is that the Pharisee did not afford Jesus any of these things. He didn't wash the feet of Jesus right? He wasn't very hospitable. And yet this sinner whose life exuded sin from every pore is worshiping Jesus, you see. And so I see here that this is a lesson in the grace of God. It's not earned by good deeds. It's received as a gift. Amen. This woman was absolutely destitute There was no way that she could actually offer to Christ good works. She had none that we know of. Are you with me? But what she had was simply herself and the Lord accepted it. Amen. And apparently her acts of worship were sanctified and considered to be a holy thing, which is absolutely amazing to me. Right? In other words, come one, come all. The Lord is will accept you with open arms. So here's here, let's let's keep reading. Um, Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wipe them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with ointment. So she's highly honoring him. This is an act of worship. Um, She's reverencing the Lord. Now we're going to skip for just a minute the the parable that Jesus tells Simon and continue on with the narrative in verse 44. I'll come back to that little parable in a moment. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now here it is, folks. We got to pay attention to this. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Conversely, he who is forgiven much, loves much. Amen? And she was so grateful 
that such a holy man, maybe she even recognized that he was not a regular, normal human being. Maybe she even recognized this is the anointed one. Perhaps she did. But at any rate, she experienced only acceptance from him, didn't she? And so Christ makes these amazing statements about her. And first of all, he said that her sins are forgiven. But what we don't see is her somehow paying for them. But you see, in human nature, according to our flesh, we always want to pay for the wrongs that we've done. It's our natural inclination. We even go so far as to make promises to God. God, if you forgive me, I'll stop doing such and such and I will do X and this. I'll read my Bible more. I'll pray more. In other words, we're trying to pay God to do a job for us. How much does your forgiveness cost? But here's the thing. We can never pay enough to cover our sins, right? All we can do is receive a free gift of God's grace. Praise the Lord. But the point I want to get across to you is this. He who is forgiven little loves little, but he who is forgiven much loves much, right? So uh, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. You don't have to raise your hand or say anything, but have have you been forgiven little or have you been forgiven much? So maybe some of you had the experience growing up that I had. I grew up in a pastor's household. Um, I have a little New Testament in which, in a shaky, spidery (laughs) uh, handwriting, I wrote that I received Christ sometime in October. It says October 91, but there is no such thing. So maybe it was October 19, uh, and it gives the year. So I know that I was around five years old when I received Christ. So whenever I would hear this, I would think, well, I guess I'm doomed to love Christ little because I've been forgiven little. But here's the thing. You need to think of percentages. Can I explain that to you? So let's say that exhibit A has 10 sins, exhibit B has 1,000, and exhibit C has 150,000 sins, right? Pretty broad spectrum here. So... A has less sins than C. Am I right? But let's say that the Lord forgives A, 10 sins, B, 1,000 sins, C, 150,000 sins. He's forgiven, as far as quantity goes, more or less sins, depending on the person, but the percentages are exactly the same. He forgave this one 100%, and this one 100, and this one 100 Did you get it? So maybe you only have 10, but Christ forgave all of them. You've been forgiven 100%. You know how that translates? You've been forgiven much. And by the way, I just have to slip this in here. I doubt that any one of us are even aware of all the sins that we've committed. Right? Because Christ loved to just pull that plank really, really high when dealing with people that thought that they could fulfill the law in and of themselves. And he says, you know what? It's not just fulfilling the letter of the law. What you think in your heart matters too. And when he said that, we've all got some pretty major problems, right? So the point is this. In actuality, regardless of how many, the number, the quantity of sins that you and I have committed, Christ has forgiven us every single one of them. And so in reality, this is the perspective you need to have. You have been forgiven much. You've been forgiven every single sin, period. Amen? I like to think of the timeline Because some of us really struggle with this. And in our own thinking, we really have limited the forgiveness of God. And we'll get to the place where we would admit, yes, I think that Christ has forgiven me for what I did yesterday. But what I did today, I'm not sure. And what I will do tomorrow, probably not. But let's think of the timeline for just a moment. When Christ paid for 
my sins and your sins on the cross, at that time we did not exist physically, correct? We weren't living on the planet. I don't think anybody here is over 2,000 years old, are you? Sometimes we feel confused about how long we've been doing things. Uh, for example, <laughs> I, uh, I just uh, today actually saw a little video clip on YouTube about a politician who said that 180 years ago when he served on the Senate, and I thought to myself, I think that might not be totally accurate. Because 180 years ago, you weren't even born. But whatever, you were serving on the Senate, I'm sure. <laughs> In the mind of God. <laughs> In eternity, somehow, Any, whatever. So we limit the forgiveness of God and we think, well, it just has to do with the past, but it can't flow over into the present, probably doesn't touch the future. But when Christ paid for our sins on the cross, all of my sins were future. All of them. Right? The entirety. What about yours? <laughs> right? So my point is, he took care of all of them for the entirety of your life once and for all. Really? Yeah. You're totally forgiven. Even for things I haven't done yet, I mean, it's the whole package. Really? See? And you begin to think about that and realize, man, God loves me. Wow, God believes in me. How how could you do that if you didn't believe in the person? And he did enough to forgive all of our sins completely. Amen? To think how much God loves me and believes in me. It's amazing. And so when you begin to think about that, you realize he has completely forgiven all of my sins, singular, all of it. Amen? It's covered. Well, what do I do then if I mess up? You come to a God who has provided total forgiveness for you and you just receive his grace. Amen? You allow him to minister his grace to you and strengthen you. Understanding when you come, he has forgiven me. He has accepted me. God loves me. Amen? That actually draws people closer to the Lord rather than trying to limit God's forgiveness to just the past, for example. Here's the thing. If you know God has forgiven you much, it will engender great love to God from your heart. Amen? You will love Him much. If you somehow are limiting His forgiveness, it limits the love. So take off the limitations. Amen? Let's go back to the little parable that Jesus told Simon. So this is right after the woman uh, began to, to minister to the Lord. When the Pharisee, this is in verse 39, who had invited him saw this, how she was washing his feet and anointing them, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Now, probably this was some inner dialogue going on. I don't think that he just blurted that out loud. Do you? He was thinking this inside. But apparently, since it's recorded in God's word, somebody was listening in. <laughs> somebody knew it. And that somebody happened to be Jesus. And so, <laughs> listen to how Jesus answers him. He says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> now, remember, they're eating, right? And Simon has just been thinking this. So he doesn't know what the, that Jesus knows what he's been thinking. And so he probably thinks, well, <laughs> here they come. Here come the compliments for my meal that I prepared. And he's expecting Jesus to say, now that filet mignon, it was perfect. You managed to do the impossible. You got a true medium rare, you know? <laughs> Nobody knows what a medium rare is, right? But you do. And compliments to your chef and the seasoning perfectly balanced. And I like the way that you finished off the asparagus tips. 
just with a hint of lemon and a sprinkle of sea salt, probably from the Sea of Galilee, because I'm picking up traces of magnesium at the very end. Right? And your wine. Wait, Christ never drank wine, so what am I talking about? That was a joke. You didn't get it. That's okay. So, Jesus is thinking... Simon, I know what you were thinking, buddy. And Simon is thinking, he's going to compliment my meal. But Jesus is really going to hit at the heart of the matter. (laughs) And so he gleefully answers, say it, teacher. He's expecting probably a compliment or some great saying. He goes, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owned him 500 denarii, large sum. The other 50, less. (laughs) When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Let me point something out to you. In both cases, the debt was canceled. And it was canceled freely as a gift. These debtors were not worthy of it. They did nothing to earn it. They didn't pay back their debt. They couldn't. Right? Mm -hmm. But in each case, the debt was canceled. Do you see yourself in this story? I know that Christ has canceled my debt of sin, and he's canceled yours too. Amen? Amen. And he did it freely for both of them, and the amount seemed not to matter. God is not shocked. He is not in awe at the number, right? He is so bountiful, he can easily cover it. So he did, and he canceled the the debt of both of them. So God's love, you see, is consistent to both of them. But when he's talking about the love of those who owed the money, the one who was forgiven more will love more. Are you listening to me? That's why our perspective on God's love can vary depending on how we view his forgiveness. That was important. Amen? Don't make his forgiveness this eensy, teeny, weeny, tiny thing. God's forgiveness covers everything. Your debt has been totally paid. Right? You approach with confidence. You know what the throne of God is called for us? A throne of grace. Guess what you get when you come to it? Grace to help. Mercy time in time of need. Amen? Mercy and grace to help in time of need, to be precise. Praise the Lord. Preteens, I'm almost done. So let's, let's get to the very uh, end of this story. Verse 47. Jesus said to Simon, you've judged rightly. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, now he's turning to the woman, Jesus is, talking to her directly. And he said, Your sins are forgiven. What does that mean? The debt is paid. In full. Totally. Listen, she had a lot. (laughs) A huge debt. Right? We know who she was and what she did. And what did she do, actually, for the Lord? She washed his feet. She worshipped him. She reverenced him. She loved him. Amen? But she didn't have time to run out and do a whole bunch of righteous acts to somehow pay for her forgiveness. She simply received it. And uh, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Because you know what's running through their mind? They know this, only God can forgive sins. And this man is claiming that he forgives sins. This is yet another testament to the divinity of Christ. Amen? He is God. And so he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here's what I believe the Lord in closing is saying to us. Number one, your sins are forgiven. Number two, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know what I think? I think of faith as as a receiver. It's our receiver. 
our receptor. It's how we receive from the Lord. Amen? Now, a lot of times when we think about faith, we forget that in order to receive, there has to be a giver. And the giver is not you. It's God. (laughs) Amen? Sometimes in faith, we focus so much on my faith, we lose sight of God (laughs) in the whole picture. But he's the giver. (laughs) He even gave you faith. Right? And he gave you love too. He gave you his love. Praise God. So let's not uh, lose sight of that. Why did she have faith? Why did she come weeping? I propose to you that she had seen Christ minister to other broken people. And he set them free and made them whole. And she came knowing he won't push me away. He'll accept me. Amen. There's help. This man can help me. Think about it for just a minute. Who can help this lady? Who can erase her sins? There's not another person that can do that. It's not a matter of money, right? Who can do away with this horrible burden of guilt that she feels every day? I I have to assume that maybe she was probably Jewish. Maybe, maybe not. But she grew up in that atmosphere. She at least was acquainted with the law. She knew that she was breaking it every day, right? She knew she had violated the covenant. Who can help her? (laughs) And so she finally found a source of help who received her, and he forgave her and set her free. Amen? And she realized the love of Christ is boundless. Don't make his forgiveness small. It's huge. You've been forgiven much, and so have I. Amen? Hallelujah. Would you just close your eyes with me? Let's just reflect for a minute. I want you to hear the words of Jesus that he spoke to this woman. But could you receive them personally? First, I believe the Lord is telling you, your sins are forgiven. That's such a simple statement. You don't have to qualify and add, well, just my past ones. He didn't say that. Just your sins are forgiven. And your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Praise God. Do you realize that it's only God who can give you peace with himself? Only God can give you peace with God. Only God can make things right between you and him. And he did. Hallelujah. If you're struggling with this whole concept, maybe you've been dealing with guilt for a long time. I want you to hear Jesus telling you, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in what he did for you at the cross? He's not, you know what he didn't say? He didn't tell her, now I want you to totally correct yourself and go out and live a pristine life somehow. He didn't rack up a whole bunch of requirements. She just worshiped him and he said, you're forgiven. You get the point? You're just freely forgiven. Hallelujah. She just believed. And her faith was such a simple thing. He can help me. He'll accept me. He's worthy of worship. Praise God. I want you to know that your debt is canceled. You were forgiven. The Lord loves you. Your faith has saved you. You can live in peace. (laughs) Secure. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. If that resonates with your heart, would you just slip your hands up to the Lord and thank him? 
I'm so grateful, Lord, that you saved me. Thank you that you forgave me. Thank you that your heart is ever turned towards me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the debt has been paid. Thank you, Lord, you have forgiven me so much. Hallelujah. That causes our love for him to grow. Thank you, Jesus. And listen, when you know how much God has forgiven you, which is 100%, it helps you to be merciful and gracious to other people, doesn't it? You'd love to tell them the way things really are. But then you remember that instead of doing that to you, Christ said you're forgiven. Right? As God in the flesh, I have to believe that Jesus knew all of her shortcomings. And yet he didn't point all of those out, did he? He just said, you're totally forgiven. Amen. Hallelujah. It helps us to be understanding towards other people. That doesn't mean that we now somehow accept sin or say it's okay. Sin is evil, but the forgiveness, forgiveness of God is greater than sin. That's all I'm pointing out to you. Sin remains evil. It's wrong, but the grace of God is greater. The forgiveness is so much wider. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that during this week, as we think about what we've heard just now, that you would show us more and more of the love of Christ and his great forgiveness for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't condemn us but you have created peace between us and God. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're going to help us to be kind and merciful to other people. In your name, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, we serve one another in love, right? Just as Christ served us. Praise God. You're in good hands. You're in powerful, strong, secure, loving hands that will never drop you or let you go. I pray that you have a blessed week. May the leading of the Holy Spirit be very prominent in your mind, in your heart. And also, here's another thing. Apparently, we need to say this more often. I pray that God would protect you from any harm and danger. Amen. No slipping and falling. No breaking of bones. May God preserve every one of you. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, and share it out across social media. If you'd like to know more about Harvest Church, you can visit us at harvestak.com. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.